Thanks for listening to the weekend message from Abundant Life Church. Most weeks on the podcast, you'll hear teaching from our lead pastor, Jeremy Jernigan. We have campuses in Oregon and Washington and are committed to giving ourselves to make the gospel good news for others. Find out more about Abundant Life Church at alcpnw.com. Thank you so much for sharing in our joy. Uh, If you are watching online or listening to our podcast, uh, our campus pastor has just announced to the room that I am expecting pregnant and preaching, as he said, and I love that. Uh, It's so great, because now you don't have to guess if this is just a six-egg omelet (laughs) or why I'm so out of breath. It's basically because I'm also running a marathon up here. Growing a baby is very hard work. Uh, so thank you for that warm welcome. Hi, my name is Erin Baker. I'm the women's pastor here at Abundant Life Church, and it is truly a privilege and an honor anytime I get the opportunity uh, to be invited to speak. We are continuing in our series, John. Hopefully you brought your journals. We are going to be in week three. So open those up, and you can write the title of the message, Water into Wine. Hopefully you brought your uh, physical Bible or a Bible app on your phone also so that you can follow along. We are going to be in John chapter two. So while you're getting there, I'm gonna paint a little word picture for you. Gives in the spirit of being in a wedding. Uh, In November, one of my absolute best friends got married. It was so fun to share in that experience with her. Uh, The wedding was in Montana. She is not from Montana, but her husband also is not from Montana. Both of them are SoCalers who wanted a destination mountain wedding, and that is exactly what they got in the beautiful state of Montana. And it was four days of nonstop fun, laughter, eating, I mean, breakfast, lunch, dinner, banquets. I cannot tell you how much food we ate, uh, eating, sleeping, playing, repeat. I mean, for four straight days. I learned uh, how to crack a whip because Montana. Um, And they're heavy, actually. I also learned how to shoot a bow and arrow, and so it just felt really right to include you in uh, on a little video that I brought. So check this out. This pop pretty good. This is good. Yeah, girl! That is exhilarating. Right? Want to do another one? Yes. Do you want to do it? Go for it while you've got it. Okay, I have to try and do this on my own. Okay. (laughs) Why not? Yeah. Through. Am I natural? Absolutely. If you couldn't hear, I asked, am I a natural? Because I was feeling really proud because that's really hard. And did you hear that pop? I hit the target. So um, thank you for indulging me in that. It's hard to do. The, the bow actually like whips back and really <laughs> bruises your arm, apparently. Uh, but it was worth it because it was really fun and a, a jam-packed full four days. My husband, God bless him, for those four days, was home with our four children. And leading up, he asked me, Er, you know, I love stuff. You know I do. I'm so happy you get to go celebrate your friend. Our wedding was six hours. So, like, is, is four days necessary? Like, is it imp- absolutely essential that you're there <laughs> the whole four days? To which I replied, definitely yes. Um, 
So God bless him. It was such a life-giving four days. And really, this is like, four days is nothing compared to what weddings were like in Jesus's day. Uh, I tell you the story because we're gonna be in a wedding. Seven days was oftentimes the minimum for these festivities, celebrating the, the wedded couple. Family would come from out of town. Really, these events would function more like family reunions. Um, it was a time of many days of celebration depending on what the groom's family could afford in terms of food and drink. So, this is where we're gonna be picking up. Uh, it is believed that this wedding is for a relative of Mary. That's why she is here and also uh, why she has a vested interest in the happenings at this wedding. So let's pick up in verse one, chapter two of John, verse one. On the third day, a wedding took place at Cana in Galilee. Jesus' mother was there and Jesus and his disciples had also been invited to the wedding. When the wine was gone, Jesus' mother said to him, they have no more wine. Now, I don't know how you read this, but this is not like an FYI statement to Jesus. This is like a, they have no more wine, do something statement. And what's really fascinating is that she, as the mother of Jesus, knows what he is capable of. She knows he is divine, the son of God. And so this is more than just a, can you help? Um, I can't tell you as his mother how many times I would be tapping in to his divinity. Like I have my four-year-old run and get me a diaper often. And that's just because he has able legs and can do it. Uh, so like to have a child who could make a diaper appear in thin air, like I would have, never have to go to the store. Like there's so many things. Um, but also I think it's fascinating as a parent, you know, we're proud of our kids. How, how much did she kind of want to show off Jesus? Like she knew what he could do. I have a daughter who loves riding horses. She's seven. Uh, she, I mean, loving horses sounds like, it's such an understatement compared to just how her heart beats for these horses. She wrote my husband and I a letter and, and it said, when I'm on a horse, I just feel peace in my heart. <laughs> We're in a thing for the long haul, in case you're wondering. Um, but this last, re uh, most recent lesson before the winter break, she as a solo rider was cantering, like running full speed around this arena. Seven-year-old girl commanding this beast of an animal. And I was so proud, trying not to spook the horse, but wanting to scream at the top of my lungs. And here I am bragging to all of you right now how amazing she is riding her horse. And she does not have divine abilities. So to have Jesus as your son, to know there's a big problem and Jesus can do something about it, uh, it just fascinates me. I think she's, she's looking for him to show off some of his abilities. Uh, hear how Jesus responds to her in verse four. Woman, why do you involve me? Jesus replied. My hour has not yet come. Now, it's important to note here that the Greek for woman does not denote any disrespect, but it does fascinate me that Jesus chooses to use a word woman instead of mother, and he's just talking to his mom. So I did a little digging, and Jesus uses this same expression, woman, in Greek, a little bit later in this gospel, uh, chapter 19, when he is assigning the care of his mother Mary to the apostle John. Let's pick up in verse 26. When Jesus saw his mother there and the disciple whom he loved, which we know is 
John, the author of this gospel, referring to himself. Standing nearby, he said to her, woman, here is your son. There again is that woman. And to the disciple, here is your mother. From that time on, this disciple took her into his home. So I think it's a, uh, I, I think using woman is um, a tool to separate his personal responsibilities from his ministry responsibilities. And why is he doing this? I think he's doing this because what he does next is not just for his mother, because it's his mother, because his mom asked. I think it is uh, much bigger than that, and what he does is to reveal his glory. So what does Jesus mean by my hour has not come? Jesus has a clear sense throughout his ministry of the particular hour and time to reveal who he is. And he knows that uh, he cannot gain fame too quickly. He has important work to do in these years as he kicks off his ministry until he goes to the cross. And none of it can really be sped up. If you look at the disciples alone, he had a lot of training to do. If you were here a few weeks ago, uh, Pastor Jeremy mentioned that the disciples were likely teenagers. They had a lot to learn if they were gonna be carrying out his ministry once Jesus was crucified and then resurrected again. So throughout the Gospels, uh, I have found, stay in John, I'm going to take us to uh, the Gospel of Mark for a couple stories that reveal other times that Jesus performs healing and asks people to keep it quiet. So the first story we're going to look at is uh, of a man who has leprosy. I did a deep dive uh, into this disease, and it is brutal. Uh, I always thought it was a skin thing. It's actually a disease that attacks your central nervous system. And so there is disfigurement of skin and bones, mangling and twisting of limbs. It is an incredible, uh, incredibly um, uncomfortable, painful, and debilitating illness. And it would have made this gentleman a social outcast, especially in Jesus' day. You were considered and labeled unclean, and people could not even be in contact with you. So really, this was a life of solitude and pain. And then Jesus heals him. Not only does he get close enough to interact with him, which would have been very controversial, he heals this man. And this is where we're gonna pick up reading in verse 43. Jesus sent him away at once with a strong warning. See that you don't tell this to anyone. Instead, he went out and began to talk freely, spreading the news. As a result, Jesus could no longer enter a town openly, but stayed outside in lonely places. Yet the people still came to him from everywhere. Now part of me is like, Come on, guy. Jesus just gave you your healing. He said, please don't tell. Then you told, and now Jesus has to course correct and change the way he does ministry. He can no longer go into towns. This man is now, for the first time, able to enter the social playing field, and now Jesus has to exit and stay in lonely places. The other side of me is like, Jesus will forgive you. Shout it from the mountaintops, right? You've been healed from not only a painful and debilitating disease, but from social outcast, from being um, lonely. He got to be in community, and this is a beautiful, beautiful thing. How would he not tell everyone he knew? 
The next story we're gonna look at is um, a little girl who has died. Jesus has been informed of her death and he goes to the family. So we're gonna go to Mark 5, uh, verse 40 is where we're gonna start. He took the child's father and mother and the disciples who were with him and went in where the child was. He took her by the hand and said to her, Talitha kum, which means little girl, I say to you, get up. Immediately the girl stood up and began to walk around. She was 12 years old. At this, they were completely astonished. He gave strict orders not to let anyone know about this and told them to give her something to eat. How confusing would it be to be the parent of a child who has died and has been brought back to life only to be told, don't tell anyone? Because we know the whole story. We know that the revelation of who Jesus was ultimately led to his death on a cross and resurrection. And again, Jesus knows uh, that, that this is gonna happen and that it cannot happen at the wrong time. He is strategic about the, mini the ministry he's doing and he cannot speed up the process. His hour had not yet come. But Jesus intervenes anyway. We're gonna pick back up uh, John chapter two, verse five, if you wanna read along. His mother said to the servants, do whatever he tells you, which by the way is hilarious because Jesus just said, my time has not come. And then she's like, yeah, yeah, do whatever he says. Like she knows he's about to do something. Nearby stood six stone water jars, the kind used by the Jews for ceremonial washing, each holding from 20 to 30 gallons. Jesus said to the servants, fill the jars with water. So they filled them to the brim. Then he told them, now draw some out and take it to the master of the banquet. They did so. And the master of the banquet tasted the water that had been turned into wine. He did not realize where it had come from, though the servants who had drawn the water knew. Then he called the bridegroom aside and said, everyone brings out the choice wine first and then the cheaper wine after the guests have had too much to drink. But you, you have saved the best till now. What Jesus did here in Cana of Galilee was the first of the signs through which he revealed his glory and his disciples believed in him. After this, he went down to Capernaum with his mother and brothers and his disciples. There they stayed for a few days. The master of this banquet. And I imagine most of the people there uh, enjoying this wine had no idea of the extravagant miracle that Jesus had done. All they knew is that it was the best wine they'd had so far. This is the first reported miracle that Jesus performs and it's converting water into wine. So as you hear that, Maybe this sounds like the absolute best kickoff to a ministry you've ever heard. And this is, uh, it's never been an easier time than now to get on board with Jesus. Or maybe you have personally wrestled with an addiction. You have personally uh, been hurt by someone with an addiction. And the idea of Jesus making alcohol in gallon loads uh, is confusing, maybe even frustrating to you. Given our varied opinions and experience with alcohol, my prayer is that we are able to see the heart behind this miracle, that we are able uh, to see the spirit 
behind it and God's generous pouring out. See, this is the reality about Jesus. He gives abundantly. He abundantly pours out his blessing regardless of whether we choose to accept, refuse, or abuse it. Humans are given free will. We are given the full ownership to uh, appropriately receive the blessing he pours out or to abuse that blessing. Like wine in the story, we have an opportunity every day to appropriately receive blessing or treat our blessings like burdens. And blessing looks different for all of us, doesn't it? Maybe you have been blessed with abundant wealth. Actually, if you're born in this country, you have access to an abundance unlike anyone else in any other country uh, or several other people around the world. Um, Is that wealth corrupting us? Or are we allowing it to make us more generous as we pour out for others? Does it catapult us into abundant giving? What about family? Maybe you've been blessed with children. I know for my husband and I, every child that we have, whether it be by birth or through adoption, feels like a miracle. And in the grind, how many days do I have the thought, if one more little person needs something from me, I'm gonna snap, (laughs) right? How many times do I think, How much more efficient could I be? What more could I do in my ministry if I didn't have these little people to take to school and preschool and horses and appointments? Instead, what if I recognize that my kids are my most important ministry? What if I pause long enough each day in the hard, in the sleepless nights, in all, doesn't make the hard stuff go away, but what if I paused long enough to acknowledge the blessing, to express gratitude for these little lives I have been entrusted to raise. Maybe you've been blessed with work or school. Doesn't always feel like a blessing because again, it's hard. I had at the grocery store a woman check me out. She was you know, scanning my items and she was just a delight. I mean, wearing a funny hat, giving my kids all the stickers, like making just uh, the best of the day as she was doing her work. And her energy was contagious. It was so refreshing. I've also had someone check me out at the grocery store who was just grumpy to the point where I felt awkward, like I was apologizing for getting so many things. And I was like, um almost done with your shift. She's like, just started. I'm like, oh gosh, it's gonna be a really long day. Hope it gets better. And you know, here, my joking, uh, I get it. We all have hard days, of course. And hear me when I say, I don't think that it is absolutely essential that all of our work is our passion. But with people who would love the opportunity to work and they're unable, whether it be for a variety of circumstances or health-related, it is a privilege to get to contribute. Maybe you're a student, home on break. It's hard work, a lot of late night studying. It's hard. And also, it is a blessing to have the access to the education we do, to be able to fill our minds with knowledge that our brains are constantly changing and new neuropathways Dr. Caroline Leaf, I lo- she's 
fabulous if you have never read her things. But like our minds create new brain matter. That's amazing. Are you appreciating the gift that it is to be educated? One blessing that we all have access to is the perfect love of God, his abundant grace, and his mercy. Do you receive that love? Allow it to transform you from the inside and then allow it to bubble and overflow onto the people around you? Would someone else say your, your life is marked by love? Bethany Casson, a therapist and author, states it this way. I have received abundant grace and mercy for my own shortcomings, mistakes, and sins. And I cannot contain my excitement when I share that others have the same abundant grace and mercy available to them. We do not deserve it. And in God's infinite love for us, he deeply desires that we take hold of the gifts that he offers. Every good thing comes uh, from God. Every blessing, every, everything that is good can be manipulated into a burden or a curse if we choose it. Jesus knows some people will overindulge in this wine. He also knows others will appropriately enjoy the blessing. A person's sin or propensity to manipulate something good into something corrupt does not diminish the goodness of God and the generosity of his blessing. In addition to the pure generosity of Jesus' gift, it is no accident that Jesus enacts this first miracle on a religious device of Judaism. He could have made wine in any container. He could have had bottles appear, corked, so guests could take it home if there were leftovers. He could have done this miracle anyway. It is no accident that he strategically uses a symbol, something of the old covenant to do something new. In just the previous chapter, John the Baptist uh, offered a ritual washing and he announced a more powerful baptism to come. See, the ritual washing actually made you to wash in this water from these barrels, made you spiritually and physically clean before a meal. But John the Baptist is saying a more powerful baptism is coming and Jesus is it. We know that the full cleansing is through the blood of Jesus Christ. And so he does something new with this wine in symbols of the old. It's a beautiful, beautiful picture. Uh, besides acknowledging the glory um, of God and his power in this beautiful miracle, and the fact that he is so creative and intentional to use a symbol of old to do something new, there is um, a lot in this story that can impact us. And I was really excited when this was the passage I was preaching on. See, Jesus and his divinity could also have made this wine from anything, right? He didn't need the participation of the servants. And yet he chooses to include these servants in the miracle anyway. See, his command to fill this, these jars, these 30-gallon uh, jars, was not like a simple task. This would have been, I don't know how empty they were, but multiple trips from, for the servants to go back and forth from a fresh water source or cistern to fill them. And it says, to the brim. Like, this was a laborious role that he gave to these servants in the miracle. And I don't think it's an accident. 
Jesus generously invites us into the opportunity, responsibility, and sacrifice required to bless others. Couple examples, uh, it's Christmas time. Could Jesus bring peace and joy to families who were financially struggling this Christmas all on his own? Yeah, I think he could. Instead, he generously includes us, many of our hearts were stirred in here, to adopt a family. And it wasn't like write a check for the family. It was laborious, right? Like connecting with the family was sometimes challenging. Um, purchasing the gifts for all of the family members, sometimes 10-person families. Wrapping those gifts, setting up a time to deliver those gifts, meeting the people. Like we engaged in God's blessing in this, right? And how much did his blessing pour out on us as we did? My own personal life, um, some of the most incredible blessings have come when I said, hard, uh, I said yes to hard things. Many of you know that my husband and I are foster parents, um, and this has led to the ad adoption of one of our sons, of course a huge blessing in our life, and also uh, the last eight months we have had a little girl living in our home. I mentioned several months ago when we were first bringing her home from the NICU at three days old uh, that she was being placed in our care. Several people have seen me around in the lobby and said, like, do you still have that baby? And yes, we still have that baby. Eight months later, it was uh, originally going to be short term and has become a little bit longer. This week, I had a, a meeting with all the lawyers and caseworkers, certifiers, and the family is on track and it is likely that she will get to go home soon. And this is what we have been praying for, that her mom uh, would be well and able to care for her. And she's doing it, she's doing the hard work and we are overjoyed. Amen. And also, yeah. Also, we love a baby that we're about to say goodbye to, right? Both of those are true at the same time. My four-year-old son said, mom, when I say bye to her, I think I'm gonna cry. I'm like, yeah, me too, son. We'll just hug and all have a cry fest, obviously. The reality is that it's not been like, oh, it was so easy caring for this baby. It was hard. It's been laborious work. He invited our family into loving her well, and guess what? She probably won't even remember us. And that's okay, because we didn't do it for that. We were invited into loving this child well. And in the process, we were blessed. His blessing poured out on us as we joined in to bless her. And it goes beyond our family. Our community has poured out. It's been incredible to see. Our babysitter this week, God bless her, asked to have this child, who's now eight months, for an overnight off the clock for funsies. <laughs> Thank you, Jesus! <laughs> I was like, sorry, what? Yes, yes, you can. Um, but she loves her, and she wants to pour out this blessing while she can because we're, of course, keeping her included on every conversation about when we're gonna have to say goodbye to her. But also, God multiplied the blessing, and she blessed me. In a week where I was preparing to be preaching, I got a night to myself and sleep. It was amazing. Jesus multiplies blessing. 
What hard thing is God asking you to do right now? I'm gonna ask that again. What hard thing is God asking you to do right now? Or better put, what blessing is Jesus inviting you into? I wanna close today with an emphasis on celebration. Well, because tis the season. Uh, The first miracle that Jesus performs is at a wedding party. Uh, The miracle itself promotes joy and celebration with loved ones. So my takeaway is this. Celebrations are important to Jesus and they should be important to us too. Have you ever noticed that there's vulnerability in celebration? So sharing something hard or sharing something sad, we have that feeling, right, of the wall that's up, that we can like keep the wall up, uh, say something casual to move on and we can get through it or we can let it down, let our guard that wall down and fully be vulnerable with someone who feels safe. Um, It's the same for celebration. Like celebration can, a true outlet of our joy can be like really vulnerable. To give you an example, every time I finish writing a sermon, I shout out the most ridiculous, it's, I'm, I have a microphone, so you're welcome for not actually doing it. But even like the hoo-hoo-hoo at the end is like kind of a laugh because like I can't help but be so excited and I just feel like the spirit poured out and gave me what I needed and he's giving me the words and this is for someone and mostly it was for me as I prepared. And I, there's a little dance that goes with it. It's awkward, okay? It's weird. It's weird and it's awkward, but it's an outlet for my joy. And when there's a safe person that will victory victory dance with me and shout for joy with me, my joy is multiplied. With Christmas just days away, the closing of 2019 and the new year beginning, I pray that we are able to lean into celebration. Let the walls down. Have fun. Join in the spirit of it all. I also realize that the holidays bring about heartache for many. This is the first Christmas in 62 years that my grandma, or mom, as I lovingly refer to her, uh, will spend and celebrate Christmas without her husband. It's the first time in my dad's life that he will celebrate Christmas and the holidays without his dad. First time I will celebrate without my pops. And there's loss, right? And there's no point in pretending the loss isn't there. Someone's missing this year, and that's hard. Maybe your family's far away. I don't know what your circumstances are, but maybe uh, joy is a little harder to find in this season for you. Our hearts can always be postured toward gratitude, no matter the circumstances. So whether you're bursting at the seams of joy, walking around with heartache this Christmas, I pray that your heart is postured toward celebration. You know, we have Christmas services happening tomorrow and the next day. I hope this isn't like, I did church this weekend, check. Come back, celebrate with us. It is gonna be an amazing time of worshiping together and getting in the spirit of this season. Come with the big family and your friends. Make it part of your Christmas celebration. Come alone and be enveloped by the love of this community and be our church family. This week I stumbled on some beautiful words by Shauna Nyquist, and I'm gonna read them to you. I encourage you to get comfortable. 
It's gonna be like story time, not really, but <laughs> I'm, I'm gonna read it. So we're gonna dim the lights, get in a place where you feel comfortable, take a deep breath. No matter who you are or what you're walking through, I know there is truth and goodness in here for you today. And so close your eyes, do whatever you need to do uh, to get in a space where these words wash over you this morning. Christmas is about sacred light cutting through the darkness, not about pretending the darkness isn't there. I believe deeply that God does his best work in our lives during times of great heartbreak and loss. And I believe that much of the work is done by the hands of people who love us, who dive into the wreckage with us and show us who God is over and over and over. There are years when the Christmas spirit is hard to come by. And it's in those seasons when I'm so thankful for Advent. Consider it a less flashy, but still very beautiful way of being present to this season. Give up for a while your false and failing attempts at merriment and practice gratitude. Thank God for thin places and for Advent for a season that understands longing and loneliness and long nights. Let yourself fall open to Advent, to anticipation, to the belief that what is empty will be filled. What is broken will be repaired. And what is lost can always be found. Bittersweet is the idea that in all things there is both something broken and something beautiful that there is a sliver of lightness on even the darkest of nights, a shadow of hope in every heartbreak, and that rejoicing is no less rich when it contains a splinter of sadness. It would also be a great loss for you to miss this season, the soul of it, because you're too busy pushing and rushing. And it would be a great loss if the people in your life receive your perfectly wrapped gifts, but not your love or your full attention or your spirit. This is my prayer for us, that we would give and receive the most important gifts this season, the palpable presence of a holy God, the kindness of well-chosen words, the generosity of spirit and soul. My prayer is that what you've lost and what I've lost this year will fade a little bit in the beauty of this season that for a few moments at least, what is right and good and worth believing will outshine all the darkness within and around us. And I hope that someone who loves you gives you a really cute scarf. Merry Christmas. <laughs> such wise words. Um, such wise words. Will you, pray, will you pray with me as I close? Jesus, you know us so intimately. Maybe our Christmas celebrations are gonna be 50 people exploding out of a relative's home. Or maybe they're gonna be simple and quiet and someone's missing. God, no matter the details, may we have hearts that are postured toward gratitude, toward joy, and toward celebration this Christmas. Jesus, you are so worthy of our celebration. We love you and we give you this season. In Jesus' name, amen.